All right, guys, uh, welcome to the live stream, everybody, the Train Like a Ranger live stream where we talk about all things fitness, nutrition, and military prep. Today we're here with the uh, the notorious uh, Corey Flynn. Uh, Corey Flynn is, uh, is a good friend of mine and uh, former Ranger medic. And uh, what you up to now? Tell us about what you're up to now. Um, well, today we went on a little kayaking adventure. Uh, so outdoor stuff. Uh, I live in Destin, Florida. Um, that's what we kind of do with my free time is fishing, kayaking, blah, 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 blah. Um, actually just took a transition for school. Um, I'm going to be starting a nursing program in August. So got my biology degree, getting my nursing degree, and then hoping to use the two of those to go to CRNA school. So that's kind of the, the quick transition. Um, uh, and so we're just kind of going from there. Oh, that's, a, that's solid. Um, I saw you were, you were doing some stuff with, uh, the black rifle coffee shop that is that still going on? Yeah. Yeah. So I work there right now in Destin uh, or in Niceville rather. So we moved from Savannah, uh, to Destin. My wife finished grad school as a PA. And so we moved to Destin. I started working at black rifle, um, in Niceville, which is like one of the first, it's actually the first franchise they opened in Florida. Um, so that's been a fun year. A bunch of retired seventh group SF guys work there. Um, uh, one of our owners is like a retired NFL player. And then, uh, the other owners is TAC P retired TAC P. So it's good just to be like involved in the special operations community. Um, it's definitely like one of those things you learn, like as you leave, it gets a little bit lonely as far as like who you can have certain conversations with and, you know, who's going to give you the side eye when you say something, uh, you know, a little too violent or a little too off the wall. People are like, Whoa, you are like, Oh yeah. You know? Some people get it. Some people don't. So it's nice to be surrounded by that, that group of people again, where, you know, you can share camaraderie and past stories and everything like that. I feel that I actually just went home for my little brother's graduation party. And, uh, one of my parents' neighbors, uh, across the street from them uh, was in like an ODA team and stuff. So it was funny. I was talking to him about how hard it is to have conversations about some of that stuff. Cause yeah, not even like, you know, anything like too crazy, but just like they kind of get where you come from, like what you did and all that stuff. And it's sometimes nice to kind of talk about some of that stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to find a good setup. So we got some people rolling in. Um, some good attendance. Good attendance. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in, by the way. Uh, Michael Jones says, Corey Flynn is so hot. Of course. What's up, Michael Jones? Mike Jones who? Uh, oh, my gosh. He's got a couple more down there, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Michael, Michael's uh, drooling, dude. Uh, Nicky, Nick says, uh, Corey, you back in the barracks? Always, dude. You know, that's once I got out, I quickly was like, okay, how can I get back into the barracks as quickly as possible? Yeah. I want black mold back into my lungs. Oh yeah. Yeah. You gotta have the black mold. Gotta get a 300 square foot studio apartment. You'll feel right at home. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, no, these are my $12 Amazon light bulbs that you're talking about, you know? Voice activated, color changing, so gotta spruce it up. My barracks room, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh and Nick, what's going on? Yes, Josh, we are asking Corey some questions. He's got a couple. Michael says, "Nurse me back to life, Corey." Oh my god. <laughs> it's gonna be all day, isn't it? Mike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> 
Cornerstone says, is Dan trying not to laugh? Always do. Always serious. Uh, Matt, haven't seen y'all in a long time. Good to see your faces. It's good to see you, Matt. Thanks for tuning in. I'm trying to see how are you guys going up on the the comments stream. I'm not gonna lie, I let him handle that because I don't know any idea. Like that's so hard to scroll up and see stuff on there. Say, yeah, all right. Yeah. And then you click off and it, it goes to the bottom. Right yeah. to the okay, bottom. Yeah. Oh, it's a nightmare. I got a downset <laughs> science now. <laughs> also, shout out to Sage. What up, dude? Uh, Kyle says shipping out to pre rest tomorrow. Wish me luck. Good luck. Hey, good, good luck. luck. It's hot out there right now. It's hot. <laughs> Um, I was talking to someone today who's there right now, and I was like, "Oh man, I cannot imagine being out there in that heat." Yeah, I know, that's one thing. Up? That's like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Are I don't know. Do you want to look at YouTube or Instagram? I'm like, I'm like alternating between the two. I'm doing the back and forth, like when you're taking awkward photos with family, and you're just like, <laughs> I I have a tripod, so I set my phone up right in line with my computer screen so that I look at He's both. Far ahead. He's yeah. Like, that was a twenty. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, what's the temperature like for you guys up there? Uh, for me, it's hot. It's hot as shit. Um, it's like, uh, it's been stormy this week, so probably like 80s, 90s, but like pretty consistently like 90s right now. And then it's not as humid as Savannah, I will say that. So that's super nice. Like being in Destin, close to the ocean, you get the ocean breeze. Um, but if you go inland at all, like Crestview and stuff like that, it starts to get pretty, uh, pretty humid. Well, there are very few places there. more humid than Savannah. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> we actually went to Jacksonville the past two weekends, and it was like reminiscent of Savannah. Just like you get out of your car, and you're just like you're like my wife was making fun of me. She's like, "Your ankles are sweating," and I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, yeah, back, you know, back on the uh, East Coast." <clears throat> you shower and walk outside. You're just wet. Oh, dude, immediately. Awful. You're like, did I sweat or what? Or like, <laughs> uh, it's about the same for me. Uh, up high eighties, low nineties. Yeah, yeah. I remember those runs in Savannah. You take like just a just a little lap somewhere, and you have you're just drenched, like from head to toe. Like like you just yeah, jumped dude. in a swimming pool or something. Like, it was so bad. Like I remember like going through like basic and anti and stuff, and you had the gray army PT still. And thank God they went to the black ones because it was like having the gray ones. It was like you walk outside in just a different shade, you know, in the worst areas. It's like, you know, your back's covered, your armpits. And it's just like you have under boob sweat. And you're like, I'm just trying to eat my eggs and bacon. Like, what the hell's going on? Those gray PTs are like seemingly like made of wool, too. They're so warm. <laughs> so bad. I know. So it was nice when we got to battalion. They were like, hey, here's some performance fabric, you know, take yep. care of yourself. Great. Yep. Yeah, we had yeah the black ones too. You could buy it once they switched over to the black. You could buy like the dry fish version of those too, which were super nice. They're pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy really? that it, you know it was a what a couple of years back they just made that change. Like how how did that take so long? Yeah, I don't. The army. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a rhetorical question. Almost. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> how did they mess it up so bad? Well, well standards, you know. Yeah. Um, all right, we got a question. Josh Nix says, does 68 Whiskey AIT give you the opportunity to ruck some more and just get a bit better physically? I've heard mixed messages on whether you can work out on your own AIT. So again, um, I went through AIT. It would have been... I would have graduated beginning of 2013. 
So take whatever I have to say with a grain of salt as far as that. I'm not super linked in with like what 68 whiskeys are going through right now, what changes and stuff they've made. As far as like, like what I experienced though, um, AIT, you're like almost a human being. So basic, they were like, you know, don't do extra training. We don't want you to get hurt. Like just do what we tell you to do. And they're just kind of like, just follow the mind washing because we actually had a guy in basic who was like a bodybuilder. Um, and he like would try to like eyeball weigh his cottage cheese, like super legit. He was an officer candidate and, um, they gave him a hard time because he tried to do extra PT and stuff in the barracks. AIT wasn't like that at all. It was, you know, you got freedom to kind of do what you like what you wanted. And there wasn't so much oversight. Like you had a roommate, it was the two of you in a room. So it's like, if you were going to, you know, do a couple sets of push-ups, sit-ups, you know, go for a run, there wasn't anybody like watching you or making sure that you couldn't. Where basic, it was like, you're always monitored, you know, you're not leaving the compound or, you know, the AO to go just do some extra PT. So I would say once you're in AIT, like you would have time to do extra. And then especially, you know, if, if you're looking to go do a soft program, like definitely would want to do extra. Yeah. Well, especially because the 68 whiskey AIT is so long too. So they can't just like lock you guys down for that extended period of time. I know back in our day, 13 boxes was only six weeks AIT. So we didn't have as much freedom, but we were allowed to go play basketball and stuff like that. If we really wanted to go work out, they wouldn't stop us. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the 68 whiskey AIT is uh, 17 weeks. So it's like definitely long enough to get out of shape if you weren't allowed to, you know, work out. But I mean, they do a decent amount of PT, obviously to make the standard ish. You know, there are some people who still failed the PT test somehow just with the PT. And again, everyone's going to have different kind of needs and wants of how they need to tailor their uh, deficiencies. But yeah, I mean, AIT shouldn't be an issue as far as getting some extra workouts in that you need. How many, I don't know if you remember this, how many PT tests did you guys take? Was it just one to graduate or did no, you guys take a couple it, throughout 17? It was a couple throughout. So, uh, and the reason they did that is because there was like different blocks. So like we did the first five weeks was EMT. And so, or six weeks, five or six weeks was EMT phase. So you're basically just getting like, everything's focused on getting your EMT basic. So it's all kind of like civilian-esque uh, training, get your EMT basic, pass your NRMT, um, and then you would take a PT test and then you would switch over to what they called whiskey training, which was like the 10 weeks, 11 weeks of like actual field training, um, doing like your March assessment and uh, medical and trauma assessments and stuff like that. Um, so you had to take a PT test that kind of like gauge like, okay, are we going to uh, give you all the privileges of like, they were, it was kind of like basic where they had like different phases of like, um, can you red, like stand? red, white, and gold? Yeah, or whatever, whatever. it was yeah. similar to that, but they just switched it up to like uh, NREMT phase. If you pass your NREMT, pass your schoolhouse test, pass your PT test, then you got to go move on to whiskey and uh, get a little bit more freedom. But then it got kind of weird during my AIT because we had a new full bird colonel that came in and started changing all the rules. So like they took away uh, weekend right. passes. <laughs> yeah, took away weekend passes. Took away. Uh, we couldn't drink no nicotine. Even when you were like off post, you, uh, if you wanted to leave post, you had to wear your dress blues. So it got real weird. Like we got a bunch of privileges and then they like took them away. <laughs> so again, like everyone's circumstances can definitely change. As soon as you said no, new full word colonel, I was like, Oh, yeah. here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
they always get to leave their. Let me make a name for myself. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think that was the same for us, actually. So we had a couple people who like failed PT tests or whatever, and they didn't get like the weekend passes that we got. They weren't allowed to leave or get out of their duty uniform. That was a weird rule too. You couldn't be in civilians ever. Yeah. I just remember how bad we were on the nicotine, dude. Remember that, that smoke pit or whatever. Yeah. As soon as those dudes could have tobacco again, they just started smoking like a chimney. And, uh, that's back when I chewed too. We were like lining the top and bottom gums. We just, just like a whole can just walking around. Oh, like dude, yeah. idiots, it, dude. it was so bad. Like <laughs> it was funny. Like I actually didn't, I had never, I'd grown up in Ohio, had never chewed tobacco. Literally. Like I saw people chewing in rasp and it was like one of those things of like contraband, hide it. Like, Hey, yeah. we're going to go to the bathroom and you know, <laughs> spit into the sink and wash it down as we're spitting. And I was like, this, like, are you guys serious right now? Like, what are you doing? And again, I never really understood it. And then it was like about the rasp time frame, a little bit after when I like started to get into like the tight knit medic group of like the medics who I'd known from basic and AIT, who I was going through rasp and, you know, continuing to go to Sockham and stuff with, um, there was a couple of them, them who chewed. And so we'd go out drinking and that's how I kind of got addicted. So I was 22 when I had started chewing tobacco and yeah, I mean, it got rapidly out of hand, <laughs> like two cans a day. And then, uh, I actually, uh, quit cold Turkey when I moved to Destin. So that's how I quit too. That's funny. I, I, uh, I'm from Texas. So naturally I started dipping at 15. Um, I quit, I quit at 22 actually. And I quit while I was, uh, I quit my last year yeah, as my last year in the army. And, uh, and I quit cold turkey. And I remember I hit some bad withdrawals. It was like the second week. And I tried to quit before, but I had some bad withdrawals in the middle of our, uh, what were we doing? Our, our, like, uh, our live fires. And I remember my, my radio was acting up and I came back and I just started flipping bunks, dude, and like cussing. And I got so worked up. Give me a kid. I got so worked up, my nose started bleeding. Oh my gosh. <laughs> got JVD coming out. Eyes popping out of your head. Uh, I actually quit using um, like those new. It was nice because they started coming out with like nicotine products that weren't tobacco. So you can, I like worked myself down to like, you know, eight milligrams, six milligrams, three milligrams, two milligrams, and just like worked myself down. It made it a little bit easier on me because, yeah, that just cold turkey is rough. So we tried to do that. (laughs) We tried to do that in Afghanistan. So we were like, okay, we brought a couple logs for the deployment. And then we were like, uh, since we were the medics, we had nicotine gum. And so we were like, okay, we're going to, because my, like, not my senior medic for the company, but the guy, again, the guy right ahead of me was like getting ready for dive school. So he was taking his fitness real seriously. He's like, I'm going to quit uh, doing this and I'm going to do this and blah, 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 blah. And so we were like, all right, we're all going to quit dipping. So we finished our logs and the only access that we had was to like the Afghani store, like the little, store off of scorpion and so it was yeah. like awful like the dip there was awful and so we were like <laughs> okay we'll just start using the nicotine gum instead well it turns out then we just started using the nicotine gum and chewing tobacco and we ended up <laughs> breaking and going to get an afghani chew and it was just like totally like we were chewing gum we were chewing dip like it was awful and so you actually yeah, increased I, your nicotine and exactly. I, I, I stayed away from it after that i was like oh gosh yeah, I got real bad. And you're right. That stuff, uh, 
that stuff over there. It's like they keep it in the heat all day or something. They don't, yeah. they don't store it properly. So it's like, it was super gross. I actually had, uh, I had family send me, uh, the Copenhagen, uh, logs by mail. Yeah. That they sent been by mail. yeah it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, worth it. But, um, <clears throat> It's funny right. the stuff you reach out to. You're just like, I need something. I need lots of rippets, lots of dip, lots of, you know. We used to smoke cigars and uh, we would do tan ops on the Connexes with supply. Oh, tan was the like, best. Yeah, it was just like, I mean. Oh, man. They didn't then, know they were, they're coming for a nicotine podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't use it anymore, but the memories are still like burned into my head. So. <laughs> yeah, we're sponsored by uh, Marlboro. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hey, yeah. Anyway, so fitness, right, guys? Right, right. <laughs> fitness and nutrition very important. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. Uh, do you have any uh, questions on your end? I, I, I got a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, Corey's very popular. C. Paskett says fleeing for Florida government, uh, governor. Sorry, uh, and black rifle president. Yeah. That, well, that's not going to happen. But I appreciate the boat of confidence. Um, I as skeptical of politicians as I am, would never want to be one myself. Um, not envious of that role. And then as far as I don't really want to run a business either. So <laughs> I appreciate that though, Cassidy. Um, here's a question here. Uh, Michael's cracking me up, man. <laughs> uh, I'm going in as a CCT in the air force. Do you guys have any experience with them? Um, um, I mean, besides like missions and briefings and stuff, I, I feel like you guys would have way more experience with those guys. Um, I had more experience probably with PJs and combat controllers. Uh, so I don't know if you guys have anything to add. Um, yeah, I knew a couple of combat controllers. Uh, honestly, any Air Force people that you meet, special ops or otherwise, are just super laid back and chill. Um, they're always fun to work with. It's never like super stressful. They're always like cool to be around. You can always hang out with those dudes and they're all super good at their job too. Um, I've, I've always said there's pros and cons to how the, uh, I would say particularly the army and Marines raise people like soldiers and, and Marines. You know, I would say that the air force dudes, the way that they test those dudes is it, it does produce pretty good results because all the, all the, um, Special Operations Air Force dudes we work with were super great at their job. And we were too. We were just more high-strung about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, they also, so in the Air Force, they do tests for promotion too, which I think is something that definitely almost all the branches should use. So you actually have to take a test and you get rank, like ranked in your job. And that's how you, they go down the list of promotions, which I think makes a lot, like the NCOs are always very, very technically intelligent about wh whatever their job is. Yeah, I feel like that makes a lot more sense than like just time and service. Cause it's yeah. like, yes, there is a component to that of like time and service. Like, yeah, you know, uh, a master sergeant might not have a master's degree, might only have a bachelor's degree, but like, you know, and then a colonel might have a doctorate, but like the kind of experience and like the levels of experience sometimes are, are so vastly different that like, you know, time and service doesn't always translate. That's probably a bad to use a colonel as an example. Let's go with like a second lieutenant, but <clears throat> it's like degrees and stuff like that, you know, doesn't always apply to technical proficiency. Like, and especially in the military, like on the job training is where, where it's at. Like that's the bread and butter. Yeah. Unless even, I mean, I don't like always um, love using the military schools, but at least from West point, you know, they're coming out with 
actual army knowledge from there. Um, but like for the guys that are just going to whatever college and then go to the army as a lieutenant, like you don't actually know anything about the army at that point. Um, even though you're thrust into a role of like heavy responsibility at that point, especially when you're like a PL or something, but you don't have that experience that like the platoon sergeants and stuff do by any means. Um, and we actually do get questions, you know, from like, uh, new LTs or people who are about to branch off, you know, I always say, just listen to your iron listed, you know, kind of like, you'll have to, I, I don't envy some of those roles cause they are thrown into, it's almost like taking a, in some cases, a private with some college background and saying, okay, you're going to lead all these people now. <laughs> like they get some, some tools going in, but it, it is a lot for some of those guys. So. You know, I'd say, you know, lean on some people who know what they're doing, you know, being open here. Um, yeah, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone, but, um, you know. Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, I think that's like a good piece of, piece of advice. It actually just reminded me of, uh, I saw him jump on the podcast, say he's one of the guys, um, me and him had a conversation the other day and we just talked about how people don't utilize the people around them sometimes they get stuck behind rank or titles or positions and they don't seem to think like they can garner information from people like regardless of whatever that other person you know if they're a subordinate or a different mls or whatever the case is like you know you can reach back into the special operation community guys who got out or you know the same vice versa uh officers enlisted you know there's all these ways that you can reach out to people and better yourself, no matter what position that you're actually in. And it's like, people will sometimes like refuse to do that for some reason. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think reaching out is always important. That's a huge hurdle. I think for anybody who wants to join as a 68 whiskey, 13 Fox or 25 series too. Um, like keep in mind, sometimes it's tough because sometimes it's streaming like, the lieutenants and higher ups like don't want to listen to you, even though it's your job and you've learned it and they haven't. Um, I always tell guys that are looking to be those MOSs that are like combat MOSs attached to the infantry guys that it's tough. You got to sometimes tell a platoon sergeant or a lieutenant or a first sergeant like, hey, that's not right. That's isn't how we need to do this. And you're a E4, E5 FO, E4, E5, you know, medic. And you're like, hey, this isn't right. We can't do this. And they're like, okay, shut up. You're you're nobody to me. You know what I mean? And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was super lucky. My, my platoon sergeant was like... Um, it was actually his second round as a platoon sergeant. So he was experienced. Like it was a perfect kind of setup. Um, and he was very like even keeled. We called him the chess master on the battlefield because it's like, he always sat back, looked at what he had. And so he was very receptive to me as a, as a new medic. He's like, listen, like if you have a piece to add and you know, if we're rolling the CCP to the wrong place or we're setting it up in the wrong place, like please add, you know, to the plan. And for the most part, like when I said something, he would say, yeah, let's go with that. And then sometimes he might say like, you know, Hey, here's why we're not going to do that. And here's why. So he would build, you know, that, that fundamental knowledge for me too, because, you know, being a medical expert did not make me a tactical expert. And so, you know, that was one of the things I had to do was, you know, reach out to the guys who, you know, a, a private who's been there for six months has had more one-on-one -on -one training with their team leader than I had probably gotten, you know, the years I'd been there because it's just like, you know, that's not your main focus. You have to do med pros and all these different things um, and do your own specific training. And it's like, then you have to reach back again. You have to reach back and take that kind of initiative for yourself of, okay, well, I just saw the guys do like mag change drills for the past two hours. Like, 
When's the last time I've done some magnet change drills? Like, yeah. oh, I mean, they they put me in the stack for the shoe house, but like, what the hell am I doing? Like, <laughs> going in here like, all right, you turn that way, I turn this way, but like, why? And it's like, you know, you can sit there and like, you know, just let it go by. And like, a lot of times they'll give you that benefit of the doubt of like, oh, you know, it's, oh, it's Doc. Like, oh, it's, you know, it's the FO or whatever. Like, they're not going to be in it. And it's like, you know, again, you, like you have to take that initiative and say like, I want to be the best all around whatever position that you're in. It's like, this is something that me and my wife actually had a conversation about today. Of like so many people, again, get caught up on titles as opposed to like the adjectives that describe the title. So if you're going to be a medic, great. Like you passed your schools, you did all your stuff, you're the medic, but like, isn't it more important to be a good medic? And so it's like, people don't focus on those adjectives of like, are you a proficient medic? Are you a tactical medic? Are you, you know, all these things that add to that title that you supposedly have earned. People forget about that too. Of Like you have to go above and beyond to be great. Well, especially in regiment too, when everyone's supposed to be a ranger first, you know what I mean? So sometimes they forget about us. And I was, uh, I've met said on the podcast, I actually got to do a live fire as a, like essentially a, just a private infantryman with the um, platoon I was attached to. And that was huge for me. It helped me learn so much like tactical knowledge about how they do things in certain battle drills. And it helped me out a ton when I'm prepping to call for fire or prepping fires plans that I know that's how they're going to do these things. Cause I was there and I did it with them. Um, and yeah, sometimes that gets lost in translation, especially for those uh, more specialized combat MOSs. Yeah, that's exactly right. Cause we're all different parts of this machine and we all got some knowledge to share in different areas. So, and this is something I actually got better at after the army is kind of humbling myself to other people's knowledge. Cause other people got tools that I don't. So be more receptive to that. Cause like you said, Corey, you know, people get caught up in these titles. Oh, I'm a, even, even by rank, right? Like some guys like, oh, I'm a staff sergeant. I'm not going to listen to this guy uh, or I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other, you know, if you kind of humble yourself and start opening yourself to other people, you'll find that you can learn a lot from people. And you only, when you open your ears to that knowledge, you only build yourself up better. So when you're closed off and you think, or you're too, you know, even some people get closed off because they think they should know something and they don't put themselves out there to know it, you know, to learn it. Like you said, Tony, getting out there and doing the live fire, you know, um, or going and doing the shoot house, you know, even though it's not on our schedule thing to do, you know, if you got some free time, go, go try to get in with those guys and, and get out of your comfort zone and then, you know, build yourself up so that you're comfort, comfortable in more fields because, you know, again, Ranger first and, when you get out and people hear Ranger, they expect you to know all the things, right? Like, but that just reminded me of that meme where it's like they're up in the stack and one dude's dressed like a clown. It's like when the 13 Fox gets yeah, into the yeah. stack. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually stole that from I stole that from 18 Disaster though, because he goes by Disaster for now. But uh, so yeah, I definitely stole that from him. It wasn't when the medic gets in the stack. And I was like, I'm, I, I messaged him. I said, I'm stealing this. Same thing, but different. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, Josh has another good question. He said, did you already have an interest in medicine before enlisting? Um, and if you could do it again, would you be a 68 whiskey? Why or why not? Yes. Yeah, so personally, I did have an interest in medicine before. I had um, in high school been in my medical tech career. Uh, 
program, I guess. Um, it, it, like, it almost was pre-nursing in the fact of how they did it, uh, which is kind of ironic because I'm going in nursing now. But um, I was like the only male and there was like, uh, like 15 people in it. Um, but I had done that my last few years of high school. So like I did the post-op college option. And then when I wasn't doing the community college, I was at this career tech program doing that. Um, and then I did two years at Ohio state for biology. And my interest in that was, uh, to go to some kind of pre-professional program, whether it was med school or PA school or, or whatever, um, some kind of medical field. I think probably at 19, 20 years old, it was still medical school. It was probably still my goal. It's changed, you know, a couple different ways since then. Um, but yeah, it, it's something I had always been interested in. And then one of the big reasons that I enlisted was I wanted that hands-on experience. And so I felt like I had been going to school and, you know, I just looked down the pipeline of like, okay, I'm going to finish my undergrad, go to medical school, go to residency, go to fellowship, like, all these, you know, years and years and years of training, but I, I didn't see the like, okay, when am I actually going to like put hands on patients and learn medicine? And so, you know, again, being young, young and full of angst and testosterone, I was like, I'm going to do something cool and I want to do medicine right now. So that was kind of the jump of like leaving school, jumping into being a medic in the army. Because um, again, I was in a great position with my recruiter. He tried to do the like, hey, we can get you an earlier contract because I did the uh, DEP delayed enlistment program for like six months. Yeah. And he was like, Hey, we can get you in, but you know, you just have to sign a contract for truck driver or whatever the hell he tried to, you know, flip, flip across the desk. And I was like, listen, dude, like I'm a sophomore in a high state. Like I, I'm not going to leave for this. Like I won a 68 whiskey contract. And then sure enough, like he calls me back eventually. And it's like, Hey, we, you know, we have some slots that opened up. I'm like, yeah, of course you did. So, um, yeah, it had been something I'd been passionate about pretty much my entire life. Again, it kind of, it's transformed. It had started out like veterinarian, doctor, uh, PA, nurse, CRNA, like, you know, it, it's the field in general interests me. So I'm not so locked into like what I end up doing because I just like medicine, like in general. Yeah. And the more you start looking at it, the more you realize there's so many specialties <clears throat> and things that you can do. And there, uh, there's a bunch of really cool ones. So you would pick 68 whiskey again if you had to do it all over? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I think, again, like, you know, going into a special operations unit and especially I think Ranger Battalion, like, uh, scratch both itches of like, you know, doing medicine, but then also being in the army. Like this is something I tell people all the time. It's like everyone thinks everyone in the Air Force is a pilot and everyone thinks everyone in the army is a Ranger. And so it's like, it, it was nice to be able to have that experience of like, uh, actually getting to, you know, be a soldier and what my expectations and like reality became of like, this is what a soldier does. Um, I got to, you know, accomplish that and then also got to accomplish the medic side of it. So I think for me being a ranger medic was the perfect kind of outlet. Um, obviously, you know, going SF or something like that would probably have, you know, been equivalent, but I think, you know, if I had been in the National Guard, or if I had went, you know, and worked at an aid station, like, I don't think I would have been as satisfied. So I think that's something to think about is you can be a 68 whiskey and take vital signs at a clinic. You can be a 68 whiskey and like work in a hospital at, you know, BAMC. You can be a 68 whiskey and do a whole lot of things. So you just kind of have to keep that in mind of like needs of the army. 
So if you want to actually go be, you know, a soldier and go be a ranger, like then you need to like prepare for that and like go accomplish that goal. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause I, especially when I was in like the 82nd and the 173rd, <clears throat> like all those guys, there's like, you know, only so many platoons that have medics with them. And then everyone else is at the aid station at the clinic doing all that other stuff. There's only so many platoons. So, um, there's a lot more medics in the aid station in the clinic than with platoons going out and doing training into the missions and stuff. Yeah. Um, man, he's beautiful. Matt says first bat barracks were a good time. I always had a good time. The first bat barracks. <clears throat> of course. Uh, this is talking back to Savannah, I think. Cornerstone says that uh, prickly heat activate the prickly heat that just oh yeah hearing that word traumatizes me dude giant mosquitoes and humidity and that's the gnats i gnats. that's the gnats get me like i feel like i got dude. bit by so many bugs when i was in savannah that now like my body has like an overreaction like, I feel like my immune system was like, all right, enough. Like, <laughs> if you're going to get bit, you're going to die now. Because Use it, it all never, up. <laughs> it was never an issue, but now it's like, I get so itchy. Like, we were, like I said, we were in Jacksonville, and I was like, I walked out of the door one morning, I was putting surfboards on the, the SUV, and I was just like, why am I so itchy? Like, it pissed me off because I was so itchy. I was like, this is awful. Dude, those gnats in, in uh, Georgia are relentless. You guys will figure out at, at Fort Benning, if you go to Fort Benning, relentless just swarms of gnats will follow you everywhere you walk and try to fly inside your ear holes and then like so i remember one time i got like so upset i was like dude like what do they want where do they want to go and so i just didn't fight them i was like seeing what they wanted to do inside my ear so he like crawled in and then just flew back out i was like so what's the point where are you trying to go <laughs> dude i was like for me yeah yeah oh, relentless dude <laughs> They don't even know what they want, dude. They just want to pester people is what they want. Dude, dude moving out of Florida, uh, the things that people have is like the, what they call the palmetto bugs or like the cockroaches. Yeah. I'm like, I'll take that. I don't even care. Like, yeah. whatever. Just shoo them away. But the gnats, yeah, dude, the mosquitoes, like, I don't miss those. <laughs> yeah, as long as they don't want to be on me, I'm pretty fine with bugs, but... Yeah. Yeah, that's been a nice uh, nice change, dude. The, the mosquitoes here aren't as bad. Yeah, in Texas, uh, they're like freaking they're so aggressive those are the type of mosquitoes that'll go and then just like jam their little poker inside you and you're like dude chill bro it's oh like, stuff from texas being aggressive who would have thought <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude they're like pterodactyls they're they're not even bugs bro classic pterodactyls um by the way texas is super hot right now i just talked to a buddy of mine says it's like in the hundreds like he, he was like dude it was like 8 p.m. and it was 103 degrees. <laughs> yeah, I'm bummed. Like, I I was in San Antonio for AIT and we got to explore a little bit of the city um, before they cracked down. But I've never really like spent a whole lot of time in Texas. So that's that's definitely on the bucket list of like in some of the major cities because I'm, I'm jealous of all the stuff that I see and all the cool stuff. Yeah, I've only really been out to Austin. I went to Dallas once when I was in a school in Oklahoma, but I've been to Austin a couple times. It was pretty fun. Yeah, there's a lot to do in Austin. 
Uh, Tyler says, been listening to you guys for a week now on Spotify. Dan looks much taller than I imagined, but don't <laughs> worry, Matt Lewis. So don't, don't be fooled. He's five four, so he's got it. Matt's got it. <laughs> I'm, I'm advertising. These guys dwarf me in the screen. I'm listening to these guys. Um, you know, he's been quiet as um, uh, help me out, Tony. He's the guy who's always in here. There's a lot of guys who are always in here. I can't, you, I gotta, you gotta give me more than that. He knows, he knows who he is. The guy who knows, knows who he is. You know his beard. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I gotta bring those back. Uh, it does kill me, man. Everybody misses the beard thing. I, I, I took it down. I was like, I gotta look more professional. And then it's the thing that everybody still talks about. To bring like, the damn, beard I, back. I'll bring the beard back. Okay, I mm. promise I'll bring the beard back. The clip art beard was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kay says so I recently turned 24 and want to join the army and hopefully get in regiment I have an associate's degree currently lost 168 pounds to join would it be too late for me to join thanks uh, congrats on those 168 pounds that's dedication man um, but 24 is nowhere near too old to join I mean we I, we, yeah people, we, we had people go through like 30 plus Corey how old were you? you said you were in college you were what 20 yeah I was I, I turned 21 in basic okay so. Um, yeah, if you imagine, you know, three years on top of that, like, I would have probably been in better, like my mindset would probably would have been a lot yeah. better. Um, not at 18, 19 years old going in at 24, probably would have been a little bit better for me. Honestly, I always say that too, you know, being older, you're probably going to have a better time in a lot of ways. You know, I was, when I went in, I was very, uh, immature and, you know, had a lot to learn. So. Well, has I think the biggest thing is like to, to just continue to have an open mind. Like I feel like when you're yeah. younger, one, you have a fresh body, which helps. But the thing is like you're easily malleable too. And it's like so people can tell you, you know, to jump and you'll how high and you know, run how far. And it's like that is so much easier when you're 18, where it's like, I'm about to turn 31 on Sunday. And it's like I've 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 thought about that before, and you know, my wife's like, you know. You, would you ever go back in and stuff like that? And it's like the thing that I think about is like, I wouldn't want to be talked to the way that I was talked to, you know, after I've lived the life that I've lived at this point to go back. And it's like, you have to get over that. And it's like, so that's kind of one of those conversations you have to have. As, I feel like as you get older, it's like, you're still going to get smoked. You're still going to get kind of demeaned. You're still going to have to go through the training aspect. So if that, part doesn't bother you again i think you guys are right like you're gonna have an easier time because you're gonna be more mature you're gonna understand what's going on like i even felt that way at, at 21 but just like looking around it's like guys it's really easy when they tell you to stand up straight and like stand at attention just don't move like it's it's that easy and you know people are oh the bugs man and then we have to do push-ups and then we stand back up and oh man these bugs and it's like dude we just did push-ups what is so hard about this <laughs> So I think like, as long as you understand that you're going to be the adultier person in the room and like deal with the mass punishment aspect of like, and you can keep your cool. Cause I feel like that's where the older people, you know, I, I mean, there's guys I went through that had master's degrees and they were enlisting and you know, they had a whole family and uh, you know, I couldn't imagine what that would have felt like going through, you know, you have to do push ups because some dude forgot to lock his locker for the third time that day. And it's like, you know, when you get past that, I feel like, yeah, age isn't a big deal. That is tough. Yeah. I've said that before. The hardest part is going to be dealing with 
you know, peers. And then also, I imagine, especially some of the younger leaders, you know, the ones that get a little antsy and. Uh, well, it's not so bad once you get to regiment, though. Um, I know a lot of guys, once you kind of get there, you're still going to deal with some of it, but a lot of the guys aren't going to get on your case. Like, I tell these guys, like, you know, when I was 18, 19, you show up, like, they're checking your LES all the time and all that stuff because, like, you're not, you just became an adult in the army. So usually you get a little bit of leeway there. Um, and I honestly tell some of the older dudes, you'll obviously, you're probably going to get a little bit more responsibility. They're probably going to expect a little bit more out of you. Um, because you are a little bit older and have done a little bit more. You're like the senior private, like the yeah. dad private. You know? Exactly. I've definitely like an informal that. leader. Yeah. yeah. I have seen that too. Yeah. And if you carry yourself well, we've said this, you know, like if you carry yourself well, you're going to, you're going to be treated. Well. You know, if you act like an adult, that goes a long way. So where a lot of the guys get in trouble is, you know, they, it's how they carry themselves. And, Going back to what I was saying before, kind of some of that's also the way that, again, the uh, I think the Army and Marines raise people. It's like uh, you're doing some big boy stuff, but also it's like Corey said, there's like the the demeaning, the way that you raise the raise people, the demeaning, the the the, the uh, hyper punishment, and all that stuff. Like is part of the culture, but um, sometimes it makes especially younger guys do goofier stuff. <laughs> so you know, there is that. So I think over time you learn how to manage all that stuff better. And then again, as you establish yourself in your unit, there should be less of that anyway. Yeah. Well, and ideally you're like not losing stuff and like misplacing stuff. You're yeah. showing up on time. Like it's really the easy stuff that's going to get you. Um, if you mess up the easy stuff is what's going to get you the most in trouble. Um, you know, not bringing mat markers, not bringing, you know, your headlamp and not showing up on time. That's the stuff that's going to get you. Like everyone's going to get smoked for missing questions because you can't retain everything. But if you do those little things right, which a lot of the older dudes usually do, um, it goes a long way. Yeah, I created a lot of my own misery as a private, for sure. (laughs) Let's see. Um, Matt says, Flint and Rasp. We used to use our canteens as spitters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I never yeah. did that. I was not going to sacrifice my canteen for that. No, I got a drink out of that. Also, it was I, funny, I, actually. I that reminds me. There was actually uh, there was a medic at 1st Battalion who would always use his Nalgene as a spitter. And we always <laughs> thought that was the weirdest thing. We're like, dude, you drink your water out of it, and then you spit in it. Then you. I mean, I get it. It's like you know, a non-porous surface, but uh, we're just like, your water source? Even as someone who's dipped tobacco for, you know, who, who had dipped it for years, it's like, that's that's risky right there. Yeah. No, I can't. And if you if you get into the habit of drinking out of the same thing you spit yeah. from, you're just asking for trouble. Like, yeah, and one day you're going to be drinking at some least muscles. Once, like, you oh, know, it's gross. the worst. It's disgusting. But yeah, it when, doesn't surprise me. I, you know, it's funny. It's funny. You know, like I said, I chewed for seven years and I never could get used to the spitters, dude. It always grossed me out. Like my own spit, I would like dump it. I couldn't do it. I always had to change every time. I, we, we had a guy on our team that would fill up. It was like a, it's like a hobby for him. He would fill up milk jugs full of his spit. So disgusting. That awful. And the smell that would accumulate over time. Just think about all the bacteria and just things fermenting in this jug. Disgusting, dude. I mean, it's like, it's like, imagine you leave your protein bottle in your car overnight and you go the next day and it's been sitting in the sun. 
and that emanates like a worse, uh, you know, a bad enough smell. And then a whole milk gallon. Oh, yeah. You nope. would do that too. They had like one designated in their car. Y'all didn't know y'all were coming here for the whole <laughs> uh, sponsored by Copenhagen. And, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but do they like guys would leave it in their car and bake all day long. Next day, opening it back up to resume, dude. So disgusting. I was going to say, it is good these days, though. These guys have a lot of alternatives. Like, there's a little bit, like, a slightly healthier way of saying just yeah. nicotine and stuff. Because tobacco is so terrible for you. Like, I just recommend trying to avoid it and just don't get into it. Yeah. I, yeah, that's definitely the way. Uh, this is a good question. And I'll, we'll, we'll talk in terms of the GWAT um, because obviously things change. But uh, Jay Mason says, who do you think sees more combat rangers or seals both uh, you know yeah it's the same it's, a, like, it's very similar yeah i would say very similar structures between rangers and seals there's almost like um there's a lot of things that are linear with uh, how things are done so you know at, at least the way that it was done a lot of the cycles and training and deployments were pretty similar uh, well, in GWAT, essentially, we were doing that. We had the same mission set. So what came, what it came down to essentially was just like the Rangers operated where the Rangers operated and the SEALs operated where they operated. So they just did the same thing we did essentially over there for the most part. Now, obviously, if you get into like their higher tier uh, SEALs, like, you know, our Ranger recon and stuff, it's a little bit different that way. But I think, you know, the base uh, SEAL units do about the same. Yeah, they Again, it's like they became more like land based as opposed, you know, it's like when you're not needing to be, yeah. you know, amphibious and like that skill set gets taken away from you. It's like you have to kind of like take on the 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 ground force like element. And then it's like there's going to be a lot of like parallels where it's like, you know, if we were on some kind of coastline or something like that, then I think the mission set would be a, a lot different. But just kind of like the the geography of the area. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think they're already, you know, reforming missions across the board for a lot of people. You know, I've talked to my buddies who are Marines and, you know, I'm sure SEALs are doing it. Like they're they're kind of going back to the way um, I guess that it was originally established, you know, the mission set that was originally established for them because it definitely changed uh, throughout the GWAT. Um, also, you know, I think I, I do think, you know, SEALs became super um, publicized after obviously the Bin Laden raid. So, um, you know, I think, I think that, uh, you know, you hear a lot, or at least in it, initially I heard a lot more about SEALs doing stuff. And, um, and what's funny is I've even seen missions that uh, Rangers have done and they'll, the, the news headlines will say SEALs did it, you know, just because they were already publicized at that point. But, um, yeah, both are, both are pretty awesome. Yeah, the Bin Laden raid and also the 30 movies. Including the one that starred real life Navy SEALs, like yeah. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's one the of those questions too. I feel like I don't know if like that should be the most like foremost in your mind because again, that's like such a roll of the dice of like you know what your specific situation is. Is like I feel like if you see it, you see it. Um, but what kind of job specialty would you like to have? Like what? form if you were to be called into combat what form would you like to go like if you don't like to swim then obviously don't go be a seal if you know i, I would think more on the terms of that as opposed to like well they're you know 
7% more likely to be sent to combat based on how many missions were, you know, performed over the last 20 years. It's like that it's, it just doesn't work out that way. Yeah. A lot of guys ask it, like ask us sometimes like, Oh, I'm like leaning seals or Rangers. And I was like, really, that's the biggest thing. Like, can you swim really well? Cause that's going to be a major factor in being yeah, a Navy seal. Swim. Rangers don't swim as much. Yeah. As um, well, even just, even if they haven't been doing it, they still do it like all through buds and stuff. Like it's a huge part of their training pipeline. Yeah. So like, if you are not a strong swimmer, probably yeah. don't go Navy seal. I feel like it's like, do you want to be in the NFL or the NBA? It's like, they're very similar. They're both athletic, but it's like completely different of like, if you don't know how to shoot a basketball, probably you should go to the NFL. Like, yeah. it's kind of one of those things. If you can't swim, I would rethink probably SEAL training. Like, yep. yeah, that's a great point. And also just like the argument between Rangers and the SF, you know, even though the mission set was pretty similar throughout the GY, look at what they're, you know, uh, what they're moving to see if that's going to fit your wheelhouse too. Cause you know, it's going to look different going forward. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, we talked about the angel really conventional. Like, the warfare. like hard. I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ver says, what do you think about the recon Marines? Um, you know, there's that, uh, uh, um, Benji uh, from Thrash and Rape, um, you know, him and Angel roll together. Uh, seems like a great dude. I, we didn't really train with uh, any recon Marines. You don't train with any? We had, uh, when I went through Sockham, we had some Marsock and recon guys. But honestly, if I look back, I couldn't even tell you which one was which. Like, they were all, you know, good dudes, all physically fit, all pretty intelligent. Um, I'm just not. Yeah. We like, we would kind of work alongside other special operations medics, but it's like really the other branches. You really don't get a whole lot of time with like, at least at the level I was at. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, all the respect to them, but I just don't know a whole lot. Yeah. Well, they were also, they're newer too. Um, I'm pretty sure they're not as like their Marsoc thing is a little bit newer than, um, some of the other ones I actually, I was actually originally going to enlist, uh, Marine recon, um, when I first went in, but they, with the whole Marines, not with the whole MOS thing, not being able to kind of decide and not getting a lot of choices and a lot of options there. Um, I chose to not do it and go to re- like get an option 40 instead, uh, just cause I really wanted to pick what I was going to do. I didn't want to be stuck doing something I hated. Um, but I, I don't know if I really worked with any, I mean, I've seen them here and there, but I, we, we did more work with, uh, air force and, um, SF than, than Marine recon. Yeah. yeah. We talked, you know, we used to talk about this, uh, talk about this. Um, the, like Sockham is comprised of a, a lot of the branches, of special operations, but Marsoc kind of tries to do their own thing. So they're kind of, that's why you don't see a whole lot of work between, um, them and others. I'm sure they do more work with the Navy side, like probably the SEALs and uh, recon Marines do some stuff together because um, they fall under the Navy. But um, yeah, as far as everybody else, you know, we didn't get a whole lot of work in with them. But yeah, yeah I feel like it, again, it's the same of like SF and Rangers work more together because it's like you're going to be on Army installations, you're going to be on Army outposts, like they're going to be more intertied with and even 160th. Like you're going to see those guys because like if you're using special operations pilots, like with their special operations medic who went to the same school you did, it's like, oh, okay, like 
I know you and I know somebody that you know. And it's like, but again, it's like there was bow guys and seals and stuff in my stocking class. And it was like, never had a chance to see him again. I know that there was like one time that first platoon had done like a boat thing, but that was like kind of a, I feel like a special, special kind of thing. Matt H says Marsock isn't JSOC for a reason. <laughs> um, but the installation thing is true. I was going to say, I didn't, I, they have their own bases. So I could walk down the road and talk to SF dudes or 160th or even Air Force guys. Like when I was in Bragg, I can't walk down the road and talk to the Marines. They're just not there. Yeah. Um, Matt says, learned a lot from PJs on deployment, great guys and true professionals. Yeah, I, I, I really like the PJs that I worked with um, because it, it was kind of weird. Like they take a medical role, but also like they're truly like just like anyone else. Like they have their specialty, which is search and rescue. So it's like, yes, they I would say the majority of them I'd had, even with a refresher, they were decent. I wouldn't necessarily say like I still will you know, and obviously it's biased, but I, I still will say like, there was a vast difference between Ranger medics and other branches medics. Like by the time we went to refresher, it was vastly, it was very well, like very visible. Let's say that the Ranger medics like practice their medicine as their primary job. Like it was night and day where it's like some of the guys that went through Sockham and stuff, but you know, if they're an SF guy, okay. Yeah. They went through, 10 years ago and now they were a team sergeant. And so it wasn't really their primary task. And then PJs, you know, again, they're doing a lot of other things, uh, search and rescue related. So they're not constantly doing the medicine as their primary like role. So I think that is one thing I did notice is like, they were pretty competent, obviously higher level than anyone else that you would be around, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they were equivalent. Um, that's true too, especially again, like, SF the SF dudes also fill a bunch of different roles because their teams are so small. So they have to do, they're, you know, doing a lot of different things. Um, they're kind of spread thin. Yeah. Spread a little bit more thin. What about your, um, how vast was the gap between, did you ever work with any, um, the conventional army medics at all in any of these courses or anything? How vast was the gap between you and them? So it wasn't, um, necessarily the courses, I had run into some uh, at SOMA, which is a Special Operations Medical Association convention. This was 2014. And that's kind of like when all the like new technology and products and everything like the, this was like when they like had the IT clamp and different kind of gauze bandages and stuff coming out. Um, and I got to work with some like special operations command there. And so that was like my first kind of taste. But again, I was a junior medic. But as far as like just conventional forces, um, I mean, the deployment in 2016, we were basically like the providers of that outpost of like, there wasn't an officer, there wasn't like a PA or a doc there. And then, but we had like the uh, guard force or whatever. So we had like the unit that was uh, pulling security at Scorpion and everything. And then their medics would like see their guys and then basically come to us the same way, like we would go to our provider and say like, here's what we got. Like, and then the difference that I saw was like, they had very limited knowledge um, as far as like 
just the basic workup of like a clinic of like, okay, you need to have differentials. You need to have treatment plans. You need to have like, okay, here's what I think is going on. Here's what I'm going to do about it. And they were just kind of like, they, they did the basic skill. So I, I won't fault them because that's what they were trained to do. But like they could observe like a little bit uh, further than most people. Like they could say, Hey, I'm listening to their lungs and it doesn't sound good. But as far as like communicating, like, Hey, you know, they have some consolidation on their lower left lung sounds. Um, you know, they've, they've been running a fever for three days. I think I want to start them on this antibiotic because I've already looked it up and I want to start them on, you know, Tylenol to break the fever and like all these different things. Like they didn't come with any of that. They're just like, Hey, you know, his lungs sound kind of gunky and he doesn't look good. And so again, they were well-trained enough to like raise their hand and say, I need help. But as far as like, we were the only ones there who could take it to that next level. Um, and then there was a civilian, uh, like contract medic, I guess he was a flight medic back in the state. So actually he was pretty knowledgeable, which they could have went to him, I guess, if like an emergency had happened. Um, but as far as like, they didn't have an officer, like an OIC or anything there. So they just brought their guys to our aid station. And then we kind of worked it up from there. Um, and then we had access to all the medications and, Hey, we're going to give them this antibiotic or you know, corticosteroids or whatever. And all that stuff was like everything that we knew. Um, and so there was a couple times that we had to kind of reach out to our officers back at Bath um, because like we were kind of at Scorpion then at Bath, then we kind of hopped around a couple different places. Um, but yeah, as far as like, they were not independent. And I think if I had to make it simplified, like they were not independent where we were kind of expected to be independent of like, <clears throat> you have a, now that it's almost funny, you almost have a false sense of security of how like well-trained you really are. And now that I've been in medicine, you know, continuously, you just start to learn, like there's more to medicine than you could ever hope to learn and memorize. You know, there's a reason why there's a foot doctor and a, you know, he's not a dentist and he's not, you know, there's a reason, but what you do learn is like how to research, how to research it and like how to figure it out. So, you know, if you have access to the internet, you can figure out just about anything. And so we had enough knowledge to, okay, this person has shoulder pain. Let me look at the special test for shoulder pain. So I can kind of isolate where that shoulder pain is coming from. And do I need to have them do like a little bit of PT? Do I need to, you know, send them off somewhere else? Okay. This guy has a toothache. Well, is it like a cavity? Is it something that's going to need a root canal? Is it something I'm going to need to pull? Well, I'm not really sure, but it's like, you could look up a reference or take images and, you know, report stuff to an officer. And then they can get back to you like, Hey, this is what I think is going on. Here's my recommendation. So I would say the big difference is they didn't have that ability as, <clears throat> as often. Maybe once you're like E6, E7 in the conventional army, depending on, you know, how much experience you had, then you could start doing stuff. But I remember one time an E7 in the regular army was like, Hey, I just did a live tissue lab, learned how to do a chest tube. I was like, you're an E7. How long have you been in the army? Like what? You just got plussed up on like doing a chest tube, which again, how often are you going to do a chest tube in the field? I hope never because that person's yeah. probably not doing well. But uh, just the fact that like it took that long, where we were, you know, E4s and expected to do that, trikes, intubations, all the pharmaceuticals involved in that process. And 
not ask questions. We, we weren't allowed to raise our hand. It was, it was you and you might be on target. So you like, you have your little Ranger medic handbook and, you know, use that if, if anything else fails. And so yeah. I would say that would be the big difference. Well, we've hit our time on it guys. Uh, I'll read this last thing to you. Cause it's funny. Uh, Billy says, doc, give me IVs when I'm drunk. <laughs> would you say that's in the primary that should be in the primary that's job definitely yeah definitely one of the good skills um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh man well thank you guys so much uh for tuning in and thank you so much Corey, for coming on you're always uh, a great dude always fun to talk to i could talk to you for for hours and hours dude but um, hey yeah, i'll be back if you have yeah, me for sure absolutely for sure yeah this is a this is bunch of questions we didn't even get to exactly awesome. yeah the ton, tons of attendance tons of questions um this is our third podcast so if you want to see more of Corey, be sure to check out our uh, our previous two and uh and we look forward to having you on again so awesome. uh, anything Thanks else so much, guys you want to say anything else to these guys before we end? um if you guys have any you know pertinent questions um you know obviously these two guys are are the foremost experts i would say on you know the special operations track when it comes to fitness and nutrition. Um, so I would just say, you know, I've had a lot of questions kind of come to me and like, you know, Daniel had said, I'm kind of a fitness and nutrition enthusiast, but, uh, I would say if you really have specific questions on training and nutrition, like these two guys are going to be your best bet as far as directing those questions. If you have questions for anything medical related, school related, transitioning into the army, out of the army, the special operations pipeline um, or nutrition exercise, feel free to, you know, hit me up on Instagram or hit these two guys up. Um, I'm more than willing to help people through the process. Uh, but yeah, just don't feel uh, like you can't reach out and uh, don't hate me if I don't respond right away. But um, I'm always willing to, you know, listen to people and answer questions as much as I can. Yeah. And thanks so much. He's, he's been doing it. So, you know, since our first podcast together, you've been having people come reach out to you. He's helped a ton of people. And, uh, and man, so it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the, on the train, like a ranger team. So we appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah that's there right. It is. Yeah, let's there go. it is. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's a good note to end on. So guys, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out train like a ranger.com where we have workout programs, nutrition programs, Merchant Apparel, and as always, much more on the agenda. So uh, you guys training out there, be sure to train to your utmost potential like a ranger. Have a good weekend, guys. Bye. See you guys.